maximize your sense of aliveness, gain new perspectives on health, your body, and the meaning of life. You can control your physiology and how you feel in your body in this moment. Your life will never be the same. This is the Vitality Podcast with Andrea Page. Did anyone come here with a very strong desire to talk about one thing in particular? Or two things? Maybe a medium strong desire. Anything? Any requests for any topics? That's essentially what I'm saying. Overweight. overweight. Being overweight. Awesome. Okay, I'd love to talk about that. That's a, it's a very intricate and robust topic. Alright, any, anything else? Yes? Can we talk a little bit about the difference between the enema that you can by yourself and the community irrigation? Okay, yes. Yes, we can. Um, perhaps let's talk about that one third. I'll start with the overweight, and then what I had planned to talk about a little bit tonight was metabolism. So we'll see if I can weave these in somehow and, and get to it in that. sound good? Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, here it comes. Once people start, they all come. When you're detoxing, how that affects your metabolism. Yes, that's definitely part of it, for sure. Mate, do you have Dietary supplements, like adding a country, B12. Okay, let's talk about it in another week. That doesn't leave in as easily. I come back two weeks from now for, for that discussion. Awesome. So, welcome. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrea. I'm the director of the detox department here at the Yoga Barn. And we run different programs all throughout the year here. We have a three-day cleanse program and a seven-day detox retreat week, which we're just about to start this Wednesday. Uh, and both programs are fasting programs. And of course, the question of metabolism always comes up when we talk about fasting, so it's something that we'll touch on tonight for sure. But before going anywhere else, I like to expose to the people who come and listen to this voice talk for about 45 minutes, uh, I'd like to expose the voice's opinion or kind of bias, because I truly believe that anyone who can speak for a long period of time has some kind of bias. And so I'll show you mine up front, I'll show you my cards. I am a natural hygienist in all things, which means at its depths that I believe in the body's ability to heal itself. The body's ability to heal itself. So what that means is I actually don't need anything. Right? Don't need nutritional supplements. Right? Don't need food, even. Right? Don't need, I don't know, yoga, even. And my body can heal itself just on its own. Wouldn't that be amazing? And so I so strongly believe in that from my own practice as a natural hygienist. And what we natural hygienists do, everything we do is based upon the understanding of fasting. And in a nutshell, we understand fasting by understanding that when we stop taking in solid fibrous matter, all of a sudden, there's a lot less work that our system has to do. And when our system has to work less to digest, and digestion can take up to 70% of all available energy, a lot of energy that's like 7 out of 10 that's that's more than most if all of the energy goes to digestion then we don't have much energy left to heal but if I'm focused on the body healing itself then I'm going to gift my body as much energy as I can to go to what we call cellular metabolism or body cell healing amazing amazing thing and so what we as natural hygienists do is kind of turn around the picture And we say, I'm going to spend most energy to healing at the cellular level. Detoxifying, which is what Michelle said, is a part of healing. It's a natural byproduct. Two sides of the same coin, detoxification and healing. Because by healing, the body cleans house. In order to heal, it has to clean the house. That's the detox. So by understanding that, even when eating, when not fasting, when eating... If I simplify the input that I put in to the maximum, all of a sudden my body's going to have to not send as much energy to digestion. Maybe only 10, 20, 30% of my available energy goes to digestion. And much more energy then can go and stay to heal and cleanse the cells. Does that make sense? That mechanism is at the core of natural hygiene. 
It's going to be really important that we understand that together before we go into talk about metabolism. Because the thing is that Western medicine uh, infused understanding of metabolism, scientific understanding of metabolism, is very different. It's kind of like if I'm standing on that side of the room, the room looks really different than if you're standing on that side of the room. Do you see that? Same room, same topic, two very different viewpoints, creating two very different perspectives. So it's actually rare that I, I answer people's questions about metabolism or talk about it in this kind of session. Because if you're still standing over there and I'm explaining my viewpoint from here, you'll never be able to see it. Does that make sense? So this is the first time that I've actually spoken about metabolism at length in these Monday night lectures, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try my hardest to gather everyone and bring you over to this natural hygiene perspective of the room so that we all can understand together, okay? Awesome. So I didn't finish my biases though. I have a master's of science in ethnobotany that's studying plants, and my specialty is food plants, eating plants, so I'm a big proponent of eating plants. From there, I have a doctorate in naturopathic medicine, which is natural medicine in all its forms, whether that's just allowing the body to heal and rest on its own. That would be something like a water fast, right? Or using other things like perhaps certain supplements, using diagnostic techniques of the body, using practices that move the energy, be it chronic healing or be it acupressure, right? Be it Reiki or be it craniosacral therapy, whatever it is, any kind of massage, this is moving energy in the body, as well as changing the physiology to some extent. That results in healing. And so naturopathy is using all of those things along with the core foundational understanding that the body can heal itself. Uh, other biases would definitely include a large bias toward the large intestine, the colon. I'm a career colon hydrotherapist, and I'm, a, I'm the director of the colonics clinic here. So when we get to the, the end question of talking about colon cleansing and the differences between different kinds of colon cleansing, that'll come in handy. Right? I've spent a lot of time with people's large intestines. It's fun. It's a good time. They're amazing, amazing parts of your body. All right? Perhaps the smartest part of your body, actually, you know, because you have more nerve endings in your gut than a cat has in its brain. And so, theoretically, your, your, your gut alone is smarter than, than your little pet cat. It's incredible, right? When you think about this, it's incredible. Okay, I won't make any more cat jokes, I promise. So with that, uh, I'll give you the format for those of you who haven't been here. I'll talk for the next, I don't know, half hour or so, and then I'll open it up to questions. So if questions do arise, write them down or write them down in your mind, and then we'll talk about them after. It helps me to stay on one trajectory, even though I tend to take tangents anyway. So. We'll stay together as we go. Um, but the first, actually I haven't told you, I'm sorry, I haven't told you my intention. That's the last part of my introduction. My intention is to help people raise the bar on health. And it's, it's been too long that we've said health is merely absence of disease. You're not sick, so you're healthy. Well, my question back is what if there's more? What if we can raise the bar on health? What if we can wake up every morning feeling fully vital? Right? Feeling in our fullest power, not waking up and having those days where it's like, oh, I feel tired, or oh, I feel sluggish, or 3 p.m. hits, and you're like, ah, oh. right? What if, throughout the entire day, you felt happy, and fulfilled, and bouncy, and open in your body, and hydrated, and open in your heart, and loving, and open in your mind, right? What if all of that stayed with you all the time? Has anyone felt any of those things? Maybe in isolated experiences in your life? Like open heart, mind, happy, bouncy, super alert. Yeah, some of you aren't raising your hands. My God, I'm gonna give you a hug. <laughs> okay, yeah, but if you have experienced them once, then you know what it's like to feel vital. And that's the work I do. My little Facebook page is called Live for Vitality. Right? What if we could live? What if we could prioritize? What if we could focus our life around those feelings? Around feeling alert and vital and happy and able and sharp and witty, right? And you can, I promise you can. On the journey to doing that, quite often it only takes reuniting with your body. And I say that because many people today are so incredibly disconnected from these physical vessels which our spirit uses to experience life, right? We're so disconnected from them. And it's about time that we waken up to them, right? And so a lot of my job is often interpreting messages that your body's sending you, 
Because a lot of times we ignore them. If you have a headache, you pop an Advil. Or a Tylenol, or a paracetamol. You have diarrhea, oh my god, give me the anti-diarrheal tablet. You have a fever, again, paracetamol. Whatever it is. All of those things are messages from our body where our body is actually trying to heal itself, believe it or not. And when we take those pills, bam, we're stopping the healing process of our body and its tracks. Essentially, we're not trusting our body. And when it comes to the advanced practice of health and healing, the number one thing required is trust. Trust in your physical vessel. Trust in the body. It's often the mind that doesn't trust the body, and when the mind overruns the body, right, that's when we make the decision to take the pill, or to do that, or this, or whatever it is. So it's so overly important that we come back to this relationship, first and foremost, to the body. And thank God yoga is becoming so popular today, because that's what it's doing, right? It's bringing people back inside of these bodies. And from there, once we know the territory more, we're more likely to trust it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm astounded every single month, especially with the seven-day detox retreat week that we run. People leave at the end, and they say, wow, I never thought I could do that. And it's an honest thing to say. I never thought I could not eat for seven days. How many of you have fasted for a week? So not too many of you. Maybe like three or four of you in a room. It's not common today, even though it's something that's so necessary for a vital human body. It's so necessary for our health. That off time, just like it's necessary for you in your nine to five work day to take holidays, to take weekends off. And same thing for the digestive tract. It needs time off most of the time today. People never take time off. And so this is a great segue to our first topic, obesity. Yeah, is it fair to say obesity? You asked about fat. I think you said fatness. Is he, is he awake? Okay. All right, so I'm going to go for obesity. We can go to gradients of, of overweightness, but... Um, when we never give the digestive system a break, it's kind of like a system that's the central core cavity of the whole body. A few months ago, I gave um, an analogy that I really liked. It was an analogy of the body as a machine, because the body, to a certain extent, is a kind of machine. Now, that's not including things like the spirit, which exists in the body, right? The energetic centers. Right? Just the physical body, the anatomy, our physiology, it works more or less like a machine. And it's the most intelligent machine that we've ever seen on Earth, for sure. But if we think of another kind of machine, it might help us to look and change perspectives. So the machine that I used a few months ago was a juicer. You know, like to make juice? This is very appropriate for a detox lecture, right? A juicer. Everyone know what a juicer is? So what do you do to a juicer? You put produce in, right? Maybe vegetables. You put them in. A lot of the time you shove it down. Right? Then stuff happens inside. We could call that stuff metabolism. Yeah. And then out comes in two shoots, maybe if it's a slow juicer, the water, right? the juice, that's what you want, and then fiber. Okay? So that's how the juicer should work, just like our human body. We should put something in and then something should come out. This is a great premise that I always try to touch on in every class. How many times should something come out? Those of you who have been to my lectures before? There we go. Very good. Yeah. Something coming out means pooping. Of course, urination, but pooping. We human beings, we animal beings walking on this earth should be indeed pooping once per meal per day. Once per meal per day. So if you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I have three fingers up for you. Any crowd, three poopers, two times, three times a day? All of the colon hydrotherapists in the room, the people who have had the most colonics in the room. Very good. Very good. The rest of you, guess what? That means there's promise. There's hope. Right? Just got to stay with it. Okay? Because guess what? If you're shoving more produce in the juicer than is coming out, what ends up happening? Blockage. I love it. Maybe congestion. Blockage. Okay? What if you keep shoving it in? What if the, produce, the, the juicer were like made of rubber or something? You kept shoving stuff in and it didn't come out. The juicer would get really fat. Okay? So is this analogy helping a little bit? 
we're starting to understand a few things. A few, this is a very shallow understanding. But two things that we've learned from the juicer so far. When we keep shoving things in and nothing comes out, we know that there's a blockage somewhere. The second thing is when we keep shoving things in and nothing comes out, or not as much comes out, then there's an accumulation. So not only is there a blockage, but there's an accumulation or a certain kind of fat coming, we can say, of the juicer. All right? You're holding something in. Not only is something blocked, but something is also being held onto that should be eliminated or juiced. Okay? Good? So we've learned two things so far. I wish I had another border. Write it. Okay? So when we can embrace this concept that, wait a minute, not pooping as much as we're supposed to, just like babies, just like dogs, something comes in, something goes out, makes a lot of sense. We as humans, though, in our adult human lives, we allow our minds, once again, to rule the body. And when the mind rules the body, not pretty things result. And so as the mind rules the body, we say, oh my god, I can only poop at my house. Or, oh my god, I can't, oh my, I can't poop at work. Oh, I can't poop. Oh, I can't poop right now. Oh, I'm sitting on the toilet. Do I have time to poop? Do I have time to poop? Am I going to poop? Is, nothing, is anything going to come or not? Does any of this sound familiar to you guys? Yeah, some of you are like snarkily giggling. Yeah. Really common. There's a whole psychology around pooping. It's fascinating. Right? And when you start to unbreak that and understand that in your own life, you start to gain a lot of freedom. Because guess what's required? I already told you. Number one, trust. Trust. And so my advice for people pooping, put your feet up so you're in a squat-like position. Yeah, just like animals, that's how we're meant to be pooping. You're squatting. I invite you to get your mind off of things. Read. Yeah? Do something else. And then trust. Just breathe and be there and allow your body to rule the show, not your mind. Okay? So that's how to poop more. This will definitely prevent you from going overweight. I, I would love to do a study of obese people and how often they poop, uh, but I haven't had that chance yet in my life. Maybe it, maybe it will come one day. Yeah. You can recommend me in the future if you know any clinics or something like that. But for now, when we talk about uh, the concept of accumulation, because that's what obesity is, it can have a lot of different imperatives, a lot of different reasons as to why it's happening. The first one is going to be a really radical one that I want to take you to. Has anyone heard of something called German New Medicine? No? German New Medicine, I'm really surprised no one's heard of it. Um, it's something that's super, super, super um, controversial, we'll say. It's quite a euphemism for it. It came out in the early, mid-1900s. Uh, German New Medicine was thought to reveal a psychological cause behind every kind of medical illness. And it said a lot of things that are a bit iffy, uh, but it has a lot of nice reflection in it. As for obesity, what German New Medicine says is that it's caused by a feeling of not having a home. A feeling of essentially being homeless. When we don't have a grounded sense of this is where I am, this is my home, this is my family, I belong here, we tend to accumulate things on us. Now, how many of you are backpackers in the room? Yeah, probably quite a few of you. You know that feeling of accumulating everything you're taking with you for these two, three, four, five, six months on your back? Right? You're carrying it with you. Same thing, except for people who are carrying it on their body or carrying it in their shells, of course. Right? More facets, for sure. Okay? And so, that's the idea. That when we see obesity levels rising today, right? the German New Medicine thinks that it's because we are coming into such a period of individualism where human beings don't have a sense of belonging anymore. Community has left us last century. We don't have that sense of home, right? We're obviously always moving houses, moving cities, right? Moving countries. This is a lot more common today than it was in the past. And so because of that, we're accumulating emotionally on us, right? Now, this is nothing that's scientifically proven. This is nothing that has any kind of allopathic understanding to it. I'm simply sharing with you a kind of extreme radical viewpoint based upon psychology from something called German Medicine. If you're interested in, in looking up the rest of them, you can look up a whole series of diseases and then look at what the psychological underpinnings are. Interesting stuff, right? But that's just the first little thought I'll give you about carrying a lot of weight or being obese, anything like that. Of course, we have the common causes that you guys might think of. 
eating too much of the wrong foods, likely foods that are too high in fat, too high in processed carbohydrates, right? Things like white flour, white sugar, which often turn into a kind of fat in the body, right? A lot of the stuff that's made in the modern diet today, that's going to result in fat in the body. When that's conjunct or together with a sedentary lifestyle that we have, you know, couch potatoes, they're called potatoes for a round reason, yeah? We start to accumulate. And because there's not much movement in our life, there's stagnation. There's accumulation, there's blockages. And it doesn't leave the body, okay? So those are the obvious reasons for gaining weight, all right? Another reason that's not so obvious that I work directly with quite often is the fact that people today are too overly toxic. People are holding in their human bodies too much toxicity. We're exposed to toxicity everywhere we look. We can talk about toxicity a whole other class. I'll call it untoxicity lecture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but essentially the air we breathe, the food we eat, the pesticides on that food, right? The vaccines we get, the vaccines that are given to the food that we eat, right? Etc. X, Y, Z, the chemicals that we put on our hair, on our nails, on our eyes, on our lips, in our mouth, on our skin. Everywhere we look, there is chemical input that we're just totally grabbing up. Along with the fact that the juicer's not working as efficiently as it needs to be, right? We're not pooping as much as we need to be. We're not breathing as deeply as we need to be, as efficiently as we need to be. There's backup blockage in our body. There's accumulation of toxic waste because the body's simply not getting rid of it as it needs to, as it should when it's working efficiently. And so as we have this accumulation of toxicity inside of the body, and that's also the body's own waste products, right? cellular metabolism, if there's not an exit pathway, then that will be stored in the cell as a toxin. And guess what? This vague toxicity that I've mentioned now for the past two minutes, guess where the safest place in your body to have it is? That was a poorly constructed sentence. Guess where toxicity is safest in the human body? Huh? Fat cells. Fat cells! Yes! And the winner goes over here. Yes, fat cells. The safest place that you could store toxicity in the body. And why would that be? Well, if we look at the tissue, adipose tissue, that is the fat cell. It's actually a kind of connective tissue. It's really helpful if you fall on your bum. It gives you a little bounce. Some cushioning. But that tissue really doesn't have much to do, let's say. It's kind of stagnant. It sits there. Yeah. And, of course, it's surrounding the toxin in a way that insulates the toxin. So, again, yeah, the safest place for toxin to be stored in your body is a fat cell. So then, if we look at obesity, maybe the body is trying to protect itself by actually maintaining keeping fat cells. I have so many clients who come through my office, sit down in my chair and say, I have tried everything to lose weight. I have exercised, I've gone on diets, I've done this and that, I've taken all of the little pills and this, I can't lose weight. I lose a little bit, but that's it, right? Things like this, I've heard it so many times. I tell them, guess what, you are in the perfect chair. Right? Thanks for coming and talking to me, a detox consultant. Because guess what happens? When the body starts to detoxify, we ramp up the systems of elimination, all right? And those are gonna be things like, obviously, pooping, peeing, breathing, sweating, right? The inner lymph system. As we ramp up these systems of elimination and start to detoxify more, the fat cell that was encasing the toxin no longer has a toxin, and the fat cell says, oh, my job as a security guard is over. Let me dissolve. And actually, when you dissolve fat, it's exhaled. Take a breath. Just lost some weight. Okay? And so, wow, wow, wow. The weight loss industry today has very little to do with detoxification. Now, it's coming up. They're selling like colon cleanse kits and things like this, right? You can buy it in the mail, 995. It'll be shipped to you, and you'll poop all week long, and then by the end of the week, you've lost a bunch of weight. You've heard of this? Yeah, 
it's an okay idea. I'm not a big fan of laxatives, but in general, it's helping to boost elimination, which is helpful for sure to release fat cells. Okay? So, and you'll see this a lot. You'll see people who, and, and thankfully, I, I just read um, some American government agency is finally saying, to lose weight, exercise is not enough. And so you look at um, Michelle Obama, the first lady in the United States, she had this great campaign. It was, I haven't lived in the States for so long, so I don't know what it was, but it was like move it or something. She had a campaign which was about getting little kids in schools to move, and now she's changed her style. She's gone to plant it, right? Farm, right? Get back to fruits and vegetables. Like eat differently. Because in the end, that's the thing that's really going to have an effect. And so we're going to shift now to talk about metabolism, right? With all of that understanding that we've accrued so far. Up here I have, I have written metabolism, okay? And so the word metabolism comes to English from Greek, where we have the word metabole. And metabole in Greek actually simply only means to change. 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 That's it. Metabolism at its very root means change. So where is there a change reflected in our body? Well, for sure, using calories is a change. Using up a certain kind of fuel in our body and releasing it is a kind of change. And that's how a scientific perspective normally views metabolism. We see it as the amount of calories that we burn in a day. So how many of you have said before, oh, I have a really slow metabolism? Or I have a fast metabolism. Probably said it at those respective speeds. Yeah, this is something that people talk about quite often. right? And this is why I don't get into this conversation very much. Because my view of metabolism doesn't rely upon that kind of shallow understanding. Or it's not even shallow, I won't even call it shallow, I'll just call it standing on the other side of the room, right? Different perspective, okay? So when we look at metabolism, we're looking at, at, we're looking at, at it like a gear shift that can go faster or slower, okay? And so the first part I have up here says speed. I'm sorry, I didn't use a great marker, so I'll read it to you as we go. Uh, but speed, how can we speed up our metabolism? And these are things that you might have heard, like on the Dr. Oz show, or you might have read in the latest women's journal magazine, right? How to speed up your metabolism, right? Drink more green tea, and, and ginger, and coffee, things like that, they say, right? The stimulants, they're definitely gonna speed up your metabolism. But there's a kind of common list of things that you would find. So the first one I have up here is, Heat, physically heating your body. Go take a trip to Bali. Heating your body will indeed gently raise the metabolism. And so this isn't only just normal body temperature, this is things like exercise, right? Cardio exercise, of course you get hot. This is things like unnatural heated environments, like saunas, yeah? The sauna that we have here at the Yoga Barn is a far infrared sauna. I think it goes way underused, so I would highly recommend you guys try it out. Far infrared saunas are said to actually be able to metabolize certain fat-soluble toxins that wouldn't otherwise be able to leave the body so fast. Yeah, and it's really—it's cheap too. It's like seventy thousand a session or something. So try out a sauna, not only to lose weight but actually to detoxify. And I use them in my programs for that reason. But other forms of heat could be in your diet, eating certain heated or spicy food like chilies has been shown to excite the body, right? speeding up the metabolism, all right? Other bullet here, <coughs> eat frequently. So this is a really super common one that you'll hear. Who's heard this before? Eat like five meals in the day to keep your metabolism moving, okay? So we'll come back to this, I'll go through the rest. But eat frequently, that's what's normally commonly advised. I'm not necessarily saying that, and we'll understand that after we talk about the slow gear shift. Next one here is to exercise. Exercising for sure is going to raise the metabolism, and it's been proven scientifically that going for a run, doing something like sustained physical activity, usually cardiovascular activity, is going to have a raise in metabolism for up to 10 hours after the activity finishes. Okay. Another thing about exercise is that quite often exercise helps to build muscle, all right? And a, a muscle cell is going to be uh, more metabolic 
or it's going to require more calories burnt in the body than a fat cell. It's something like two calories is burnt through having a cell of fat versus six calories burnt from having muscle tissue. All right? So the more muscle you have in your body, your metabolism will be inherently faster. Right? So that person will go back to the overweightness. That person who's overweight, right? They say, oh, I just have a slow metabolism. Well, it's like the chicken and the egg. Which came first? The fact that you were overweight or that your metabolism slowed because you have less muscle and more fat? You see that? And so on that respect, I would say exercise could help the metabolism of those people, but it's going to be a lot harder to get ahead. From there, we have sleep. Sleep is such an important one. Has anyone been through a time in their life where they didn't sleep much and they realized they started gaining weight? Yeah, I see lots of hands shooting up fast for that one. I'm glad you have that own personal self-knowledge because personal self-knowledge, that is behind trust, the number two thing that you need for healing. Because no matter what you read, no matter what you hear someone like me say, until you experience it in your own body, none of it's truth. None of it's truth. Okay. So with that, yes, for sure, during sleep, there are certain hormones that are recycled and produced also in your body that help to regulate metabolic activity in the body. Right? From there, I have calories. It's said, and, and this is a really good thing that I don't think a lot of people understand because the whole weight loss world wants you to limit the amount of calories that you take in, and that's what will help you lose weight. Have you heard this? It's like the whole 90s slim fast and a meal replacer thought, lean cuisine, things like this. I'm giving very North American views. I don't know what the Australian equivalent would be. But when we limit our calories, it's thought that uh, we'll lose weight. But the actual, the, the science behind it proves that maintaining an even amount of calories helps to speed up the metabolism. So whatever you're putting in, your body will be able to process it faster. Okay? And so this is something that I want to give extra mention to, the calories part, because a lot of people shifting to more of a yogic diet, and mind you, a yogic diet is a plant-based diet. Right? You guys might call this vegetarian or something like that. But in switching to more of a plant-based diet, people routinely tend to under-eat on calories. And the reason for that is because they eat a lot of vegetables. And I'm the number one proponent of eating a lot of vegetables. But the thing is that vegetables don't have a lot of calories. You see that? You have to eat a lot of fruit to get good calories right, from that good, nutritious, vitamin-rich source. So making sure to get enough calories, and we are, as human beings, supposed to be getting most of our calories from carbohydrates, and that doesn't mean bread and pasta, right? Fruits and vegetables are carbohydrates. So try eating more fruit, and definitely more vegetables, okay? So from there, uh, I have what you eat written it's, it's scientifically proven that you'll lose weight more with foods that are higher in fiber, iron, and calcium. And guess what the foods that are higher in fiber, iron, and calcium are? Yes, fruits and vegetables. Very good, girls. Yeah? All right, next up on our speed up the metabolism list. This is a really important one that people tend to underrate. In fact, most people in the world today underrate. It is hydration. Hydration, guess what? Most of the world today is walking around chronically dehydrated day after day after day. Those of you who have been to my lectures before, how much water does our body use and lose simply by waking up in the morning? There we go, three liters. Three liters of water a day is what your body simply loses by waking up. How many of you drink three liters minimum per day? You guys have been to my lectures before, so hopefully you've heard me say that, yeah? Three liters per day. And if you're not having that, and especially if you're having other things that dehydrate you, like salty foods or alcohol or coffee, really dehydrating, then it's going to even be more than three liters. You see that? So again, most of the world is walking around dehydrated. And that, for sure, will slow the metabolism. All right. And then the last one I have here is protein. And so this will segue into the next understanding, um, protein. So concentrated protein, if you want to learn more about how it digests in the body, come back next week. I'm giving the food combining lecture because it'll be detox week. And so 
The thought here, and this is also the thought that's very ripe in the paleo diet, and the paleo kind of lifestyle, is that the more concentrated protein, essentially the more animal flesh that someone consumes, the faster their metabolism will be. Right? Or the more meta metabolic will turn they'll get out of each calorie of protein they consume. Okay? And so these are your run-of-the-line normal ways to understand that. Standing in that corner looking this way, understanding metabolism as a fat-burning or a calorie-using regimen. Okay? Now we're going to stand up. I'm going to invite you to walk over there from there all the way to this side of the room. And let's look at natural hygiene. Let's look at how holistic medicine understands metabolism and what's going on in the body. Well, first off, we don't look at it only about what we're taking in. Right? We don't only look at it as kind of a calorie-burning activity. Quite often, natural medicine and natural hygiene is more focused on cellular metabolism. Because on the macroscopic level, as you eat and poop, right, and eat and poop and either gain weight or lose weight, and you eat and poop, at a microscopic level, the same thing is happening in your cells. Each and every of the trillions of cells in your body are constantly eating and pooping, and eating and pooping, okay? And so, on that cellular level, what that looks like is cleaning the house, detoxification, the pooping of each individual cell. You see that? And so, actually, in natural hygiene, we also, in this corner of the room, we also want to, I wouldn't say speed up our metabolism, I would say make it more efficient. Make it more efficient. Because the thing is, imagine, has anyone ever heard of the story Cinderella? I just watched a movie with Cinderella in it the other day. Right? Cinderella, she's all day working in the house, cleaning, cleaning, cleaning. All day working in the house. Right? She's usually taking out the trash. She's having to do lots of things, like in the version of Cinderella I watched, I watched in the movie. Her stepmother came over and threw a, like a basket of lentils on the floor. And she made Cinderella do this unnecessary work to pick apart the lentils from the dirt. Does anyone remember this from the story? Yeah? Horrible, right? Needless work. Well, in our human body, when we eat things that are really hard to digest, something like protein, as the common world would understand it as animal flesh, that's really, really difficult for the human body to digest. And that's reflected by the fact that it takes so long to pass in and out of the stomach. Yeah? Something like fruit, which we've also talked about, will pass in and out of the stomach in about 30 minutes when uninhibited. Animal flesh will take four or more hours if it's alone and on an empty stomach. Right? That's a big time difference. That shows that our body has to exert a lot more effort to digest this animal flesh. So our body then is like Cinderella, exerting all the effort, picking away the lentils from the dust and all the other things, right? This needless effort. And so when we go back to the fundamental original understanding that we want to minimize and simplify what we put in our body so that our body has to give less effort to digestion and more effort to cellular cleansing. You see that? And so what this means is that yes, putting in really difficult things to digest will definitely raise the superficial metabolism. It will require, in Cinderella, working harder. It will require that superficial burning of calories, right? But it's distracting Cinderella from all of her house cleaning chores. Does that make sense? Yeah? And from a natural hygiene standpoint, we want Cinderella to be able to clean the house. Because when the house is clean, right, the body is slim. It doesn't have that accumulation. The juicer is working, right? Something comes in, something goes out. Does that make sense? Okay? And so when we see things on this list of speed the metabolism, things like protein, now we can understand a little bit why. It's requiring our body to do extra kind of needless work. Because guess what? Our brain runs off of glucose. And glucose is simple sugar. Glucose is carbohydrate. So what we need to feed our brain is carbohydrate. And every other thing that we eat is broken down into glucose to feed the body. So why not eat things that are much closer to glucose in chemical makeup? Things like fruits and vegetables. Yeah, requiring Cinderella not to have to separate the lentils from the rest of it.
Okay, awesome, good, I'm glad that we're walking over here, maybe, okay. So, when we look at slowing down, the slowing down of the metabolism, this is indeed a natural byproduct of not eating, yeah? Within about 24 to 36 hours, the metabolism starts to drop off. So I've, I've drawn a bit of a thing here. If this is normal metabolism, it starts to drop off between the 24 to 36 hour mark. This is when your body physically goes into detox mode. It's a process of the digestive system slowing down and turning off, okay? And so when we see things here like eat frequently, this was on the speed, the top column, you know, you should eat those five meals a day to keep your metabolism running. That was saying you should fill lentil, lentils on the floor five times a day to keep Cinderella burning those needless calories. Because when you go for prolonged periods without eating, yes, for sure, your metabolism will at first drop. Over time though, when you are allowed to fast for periods of time and your body understands that it's going into an intentional fasting time, that it's not starvation, right? That actually nothing's coming in, because mind you, the whole like prisoner concept of you get, you get a slice of bread once a day. Have you heard this, this concept? Or you can think of things back to like the Holocaust, where a loaf of bread would be all the food that the family would have for a week. And so they were eating a little bit Right? Very little over a long period of time. That actually does much more harm to the body. Because as the body's required to metabolize, right? And do that superficial digestive work, it thinks that more food is always coming. And so it will be doing those superficial metabolic activities. Whereas when we have a pure fast and we don't have anything coming in, after that 24 to 36 hours, the body understands that it's going into fast mode. Yeah, so the pictures of starving people in the Holocaust where you see their ribs as prominent as their arm bone. The reason for that was because of the kind of starvation diet. Had they chosen just to fast and not eat anything and be at peace with the body, which I don't know how that would work in a Holocaust concentration camp, but that kind of setting would actually result in a much healthier body, believe it or not. Because at the end of a period of 40 days of water fasting, someone can look vibrant and healthy, right? And I mean, there are saints today in India who have, they claim not to have eaten in 50, 60, 70 years. Scientific studies have been done on them. Do they look completely emaciated? Do they look like a Holocaust survivor? No, right? They're still on the thinner side, but compared to who, right? Definitely lean, but if they do their asana, there are physical yogic exercises every day, and they'll be still muscularly strong. And this has been scientifically proven. It's, it's an experiment that's been done on, on cows, on baby cows, calf. Yeah, the calves, they've, I mean, I don't know why it wasn't done on rats in the laboratory, but instead it was done on calves, because calves grow from this size to this size in a period of six months. And so during that growth process, early on in a baby cow's life, there was a study done where the cow was actually put on a fast and the cow wasn't allowed to eat for an extended period of time, right? If it was, I don't know if it was weeks or months, but through that time, the cow kept growing. I repeat, the cow kept growing at the same rate as it would have if it had been eating, as it had been eating. And that's something really difficult to wrap our mind around because of this old adage that we have that like, you know, we eat to, to make ourselves, or especially growing, you eat to grow the human body. Well, the prime understanding that the body can heal, and growing is a part of healing, believe it or not. The body healing itself, it actually doesn't require anything but the body. Of course, we do have certain needs growing up. Definitely mother's breast milk is a big one of them. Hydration is a big one of them. Hopefully, vitamins and minerals are a big one of them. But through that study, we can understand that growth can still occur, that there's still some kind of pathway of building that happens even if the metabolism has slowed, all right? And over time, for someone who's not a baby cow, maybe for a human, what will happen to the human body and the metabolism, as we might understand it, on an extended fast is that it would go into that detox period where it immediately slows. But then, as Cinderella has time to clean the house and cleans more and more and more, some of you 
might be thinking, wow, that cleaning actually is requiring energy, right? She's going around the house cleaning. She, that's requiring energy. So you see that there's a raise in metabolism, maybe not to where it would be if you were eating and exercising all day, but there is a certain raise that happens during a fast, if it's one weekend, right, or if it's 10 days or 14 days in, right? and that raise in metabolism is reflected for sure by weight loss, it's reflected for sure by detoxification. And so that raise in metabolism is the body detoxifying itself, and then after a certain period of time, normally, 20, 30, 40 days, depending upon how much the body has to lose or how much it has to eat. So your body starts to eat your own fat reserves once it goes deep into a fast. And this is actually a pretty healthy mechanism, right? Because the body has amazing stores and reserves of not only fat, but also vitamins and minerals inside the body that it's supposed to use. And true hunger is what happens when those stores are depleted or near depleted. And that doesn't happen for like 40, 50, 60 days of a fast on water alone, yeah? So that's something you probably weren't taught in school. But after a certain period of time, the, uh, the cleansing mechanism or the metabolism will slow back down and you'll see people start to lose weight in a fast, yeah? If it's a water fast, it's something like um, a kilo a day. If it's a juice fast, it's something like half of a kilo a day that will be lost. And you'll see people lose weight to a certain point, and then you'll see them actually plateau out and stop losing weight. And that's reflective of this metabolic curve that happens during fasting. So what I'm saying here is actually a slowing down of that superficial metabolism of calories coming in and calories burned isn't a bad thing. A slowing down of Cinderella having to clean the lentils away from the other things will give her more time to clean the house. Slowing down in that respect will allow our body to detoxify and heal more deeply. So slow metabolism isn't actually a bad thing. And thankfully, um, or a slowing of the metabolism, you could say, isn't a bad thing. And thankfully, um, this is being practiced a lot today through intermittent fasting. So you can do some research on intermittent fasting if you're curious about that. But it's often, uh, it's seen as eating during a period about eight hours during the day. And it would be something, as I practice intermittent fasting, as like having water for breakfast. So you don't wake up, you allow your body to actually continue fasting. You don't break the fast breakfast. And then somewhere midday you might start to eat and then you finish eating within a period of six or eight hours. And then you have about 14 to 16 hours of the day where Cinderella gets to clean the house. She doesn't have to separate the lentils from the other thing. Does that make sense? You're spending more time at the cellular metabolism level than you are on the superficial metabolism. So that's um, some kind of understanding. There are a few other things that I want to put in here. Um, one of them would be that um, weight loss during a detox and then regaining the weight afterward. This is something that's often, um, quite often freaked out about by my clients. Yeah, they'll come in and if it's someone who didn't want to lose weight and they were already fit and healthy beforehand, once they start eating again, they'll come back to their normal natural weight. If it was someone who was carrying too much weight, they'll come off the fast and based upon their diet and lifestyle choices after the fast, they'll be able to maintain that weight loss really, really well and even continue it if they continue to detoxify. I have a client who was here last October. He lives in Timor. He's a politician there. Awesome guy, Jose. And he, he writes me like every month or every two months like, hey, look at my belt. Look how far out it is. Or like, look how great I feel. The weight just keeps coming off and I'm not doing anything. I'm actually eating more. Right? But he's eating more of the fibrous, iron-containing fruits and vegetable kind of stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah? So um, if fasting is done incorrectly and not followed up by a continued detox detoxification diet, then it can result in a big rubber band effect or a slingshot effect of I go through a fast and often the body sees it as a binge. If you didn't prepare for the fast well, if you were like working out or working during the fast, right? Requiring your body to, again, do excess tasks where you need to be reserving during a fast. It's very important to rest during a fast, yeah? And then after the fast, if you go back to eating and you gorge yourself 
on fatty things. Like years ago when I was fasting, I did a really long, I think it was even a water fast, so I should have known better. But after the water fast, I spent like two, three, four days um, eating well, and then I, all I wanted was tortilla chips and salsa. That's all I wanted, right? The fried corn chips and salsa. And so I used to eat bags of corn chips and salsa. And what happened? I gained weight. I, I don't think I gained too much weight, but I have seen that in my own body over time, that if I eat something that's fried, right? Or if I eat something that you know just isn't good for you after a fast, the body will hold on the weight, right? If you go back and forth between fasting and eating in too much of an unclear way, like a lot of times people will fast every week for one day. They'll fast two days, three days, whatever like that, quite often. The body doesn't understand. It doesn't have the extended period of time where it's going into the fast. And when you have short fasts like that, the body can actually tend to get a bit scared, depending upon what the mind is doing. And if the body's scared, it goes into more of like a, it's called the, the sympathetic nervous system, the flight or fight response. And that's what's gonna, that's what's gonna ask you to gain weight. And this brings us back to German New Medicine, right? Because if you're changing houses all the time and you don't know when your next meal would be, you feel ungrounded, then what's gonna happen? You're gonna pack it on for the winter. Does that make sense? For the starvation, for the hibernation, okay? So, yeah, I hope that I've successfully walked you over to the other side of the room with me, that you have a bit of a new perspective on metabolism that you understand a little bit more about what happens when we fast uh, in relation to our metabolism. Um, I've gone over time, so can we, can we save your question for another lecture? Is that okay? Oh, okay, then stay after and I'll talk to you about it. Uh, but yeah, I hope that was helpful. You guys are amazing. If I could leave you with one thing, it would be to hydrate more, breathe deeper, and make sure the juicer's eliminating. So I know that was a lot. Does anyone have any questions? I totally just, I went over time. Just talked over your questions. Yes? What do you think about vaccination? Oh, okay. Come back for another <laughs> one. A question pertinent to the lecture. Anything that's unclear? <laughs> Is there a way that doing the like one day Um, I wouldn't say that it increases your metabolism, but it depends upon what you're eating on the other time. Because the thing is, if you're eating really hard to digest food, really complicated food, too much food, on the day before and after the fast, your body won't even notice that you're fasting. And so it depends what the whole kind of perspective is. Yeah. Alright, last one. On that point, is it, do you see benefit in doing short fasts, like um, one day? It depends who you are. Fasting is like a muscle, you have to build it. You have to start small, gain your confidence, the trust, and then over time, grow bigger and bigger and bigger. Long fasts do a lot more than short fasts. Your body is given a much greater window and much more opportunity to do deeper work than it ever could in short fasts. So I am a much bigger proponent of long fasts, yes. Okay, everyone. Um, I have to close, we're like so much over. I love you guys so much, thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Vitality Podcast. Please click over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review to spread this work with the world. You have a part in transforming humanity's health. Keep enjoying this free resource and make sure to give back by sharing, subscribing, and checking out all of Andrea's work at liveforvitality.com where you can find links to Instagram and other social media. Andrea also gives astrology readings, holds online fasting retreats, and teaches detox courses and advanced yoga teacher trainings. So come to liveforvitality.com and let Andrea transform your life now.